a calm, beautiful podcast. We speak about the light, hold back truths to spare your feelings. We never rock the boat. No unfiltered opinions here. Ah, no. You're listening to Unfiltered. Unfiltered. If it's politics, tech, entertainment, global headlines, and everything in between, we shoot you straight through the eyes with the truth. Streaming to six continents from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and West Hollywood, California. Sponsored by the Stutzman Group. We're real. We're raw. We are unfiltered. This is Bobby and Luke. Welcome to Unfiltered. It is Saturday, December 12th. And I don't know about you, Luke, but our new intro music is fire. Straight fire. Can't wait for everybody to get used to this sweet, sweet melody. Now, look, we've got 13 days still Christmas, but more importantly, as we said on a previous podcast, we are only 39 days until inauguration. 39. And I know we're going to get into it on the pod, but uh, ah, felt good to see what SCOTUS did yesterday. So uh, I think America is officially saying you're fired. You are fired. And we've got some special guests like in our last podcast we had a special guest and we've actually got three badass women with us today we've got elizabeth dickinson pool liz troyer and megan stenson anderson and we're going to get into into some in-depth conversations regarding covid regarding remote learning remote education Uh, Megan is actually uh, a nurse in Seward, Nebraska, and we're going to get in-depth conversation with her with regards to working the front lines these last nine months. Additional topics, Luke, we've got obviously the Supreme Court's decision uh, that came over late kind of last night. We've got... Insert rapturous applause here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we've got the uh, obviously the the FDA issued their emergency release authorization for Pfizer's uh, vaccine. And we're going to discuss COVID numbers, the COVID update, where we're at with new cases, deaths this week. We're also going to be discussing Biden's pick for the USDA. Yes. An interesting, interesting topic, I promise you all. (laughs) More interesting than you may think. Getting your heart chance. 
All right, do we have Megan, Liz, and Elizabeth there? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Everyone say hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Hello. Welcome. Yeah, this uh, Zoom is a little tricky. They're they're not as easy as other platforms. So when we're recording songs or or audio clips, they have you go through an, a few extra steps. So I apologize about now, the pause, but I want to welcome everybody to the uh, episode 10 today. So good to Thank be you. here. Yeah. So Luke, we're going to start. We want to start with the, uh, you know, your thoughts on the Supreme Court's decision yesterday night. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we have a, a nurse, a teacher, you know, a, a community activist. We have all these amazing people on uh, the pod. So I don't want to skew it too far away uh, from that. But, you know, the Supreme Court, you know, I don't know about everybody else, but uh, and I and I still my, my I'm very skeptical. But, you know, when when, you know, after that rush job of, of seating uh, the newest justice, I was genuinely fearful that uh, Trump was going to try exactly what he did. Um, and then uh, the Supreme Court would actually, you know, at least hear the case. Then when 126 House Republicans, including two congressmen from Nebraska, joined uh, the law, <laughs> signed on to the lawsuit, I, I just, uh, you know, I was kind of like stuck in this mortal fear. Uh, but then, you know, just like they did earlier in the week, a very simple, um, you know, not even ruling, just a just a very simple decision that you you do not have uh, the standing state of Texas. You do not have the standing to question other states uh, and how they do their elections. So. Whew. collective I mean, has, sigh of relief <laughs> hasn't anyone texas, else hasn't texas always kind of thought they were their own body of government um yeah i i don't even understand how it was a i don't understand how it was a thing like i don't understand exactly. how it just makes no sense to me and and yeah the missouri i live in missouri but uh teach in kansas and mm -hmm. both kansas and missouri house of representatives signed on to that as well so yeah. You know, but, you know, does everybody think it was actually something that they thought was going to happen or was it more PR to keep the, you know, really the fight alive? You know, Trump has raised since, you know, the election, he's raised over $200 million. Uh, they keep the fight alive. He keeps raising money. I didn't take it seriously, but like Luke, um, I thought the Supreme Court would at least hear the case, which right. would be pushed out to probably past Christmas, past New Year's. And that was my fear. But, you know, obviously that didn't happen. But at the end of the day, you know, they had a lot of clout and a lot of people behind it. So that's kind of, you know, I went in thinking, well, the justices may at least hear the case and then decide, hey, you guys don't have, you know, facts you don't have any evidence you don't have standing and mm -hmm. kind of say what they said in that one page um letter yesterday but you know they didn't even want to hear it so yeah. 
Very interesting. so, So many of the inner workings of how our, you know, constitutional Republic works, um, you know, we don't even think about, you know, uh, we reached safe Harbor earlier, uh, this week, which probably like most Americans, I, I had never heard of that before and safe Harbor being the date that passed that past that date, there can be no more challenges on the state level. The states are certified, it's done. You cannot challenge at the state level. So you can only challenge at the federal level. So then they challenged at the federal level. And now we are to Monday, this coming Monday, um, the 20, or excuse me, the 14th, the electoral college will be seated. And I, I think a lot of us growing up in the fourth or fifth grade, we learn what this thing, the, uh, uh, electoral college is, and we don't really think of it as an actual tangible thing, but it is, there's, a, you know, electors from every state will be seated in the electoral college. And that is when it becomes official, official, official. <laughs> and and that will now, thanks to this Supreme Court ruling, go on as planned, as scheduled on Monday morning. And can we talk about why is Nebraska and what's the other state, Massachusetts, Delaware? I don't know. Why are they the only ones that still to this day, the only ones that split their electoral votes? Maine. Maine is Maine. your other one. Yeah. So, you know, we have... A, we really are getting into the elementary physics or uh, uh, civics. I like it. I like it. Um, <laughs> we, we <laughs> as a former elementary school teacher and middle school teacher, I, it's near and dear to my heart, obviously. But um, yeah, for whatever reason, Nebraska and Maine, um, every state has congressional districts, right? And every other state you know, in the union, it's winner takes all. If you win the primary, uh, or you, excuse me, if you win the uh, general election in that state, you get all of the electors from that state. But Nebraska and Maine, they, they make their own rules. So we have to remember that we do not have national elections. What we have is a series of not even just state elections, but congressional district elections. elections. Right. You know, and then all of these are, you know, it's like a it's like a patchwork quilt, you know, are 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 put together to create the electoral college that seats our president. So it, it's it's. Nebraska and Maine, they decided as a state that that's the way they wanted to do business. And the federal government has no no standing to to tell states how to handle their business. And so that's how we do it. And that's how uh, I believe uh, Joe Biden got uh, the the congressional district out of Omaha. And I believe Trump got one of the congressional districts out of Maine. Is that Right. Sound about right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's huge progress in Nebraska. Right. I mean, we look at Arizona and we look at Georgia flipping them blue. I've talked with a lot of folks, obviously, family, friends in Nebraska, Democratic, um, more center than I would say progressive, you know, by far. But, you know, it's it's progress. You know, will Nebraska, will we ever be able or anybody be able to flip Nebraska blue. I mean, progress. You know, I remember Omaha, very I, liberal. I, I remember a time in Nebraska 
that we had a Democratic senator. <laughs> you know, right. the, 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 it's not that that distant history. Anyone? <laughs> I think uh, I think that was while we were in high school, was it not? I don't remember. It's been too long. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you well, know, and so Bob Carey, like back in the 80s, Bob Carey uh, was the governor of Nebraska and also in national. I mean, yep. he was a senator, Democrat. There we go. There we go. And what about Ben Nelson? Was he not a Democrat? I have no idea. Okay, we we need Jessica on this episode. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, not all great news, though, unfortunately. Um, like we've said, 126 House Republicans uh, signed on to this lawsuit saying that they agreed uh, that uh, Trump had the election stolen from him. And uh, most recent Gallup poll shows that while 60 plus percent of Americans, that's everybody, believe that Joe Biden is the legitimate president-elect, 83% of those identifying as a Republican say that uh, Joe Biden stole the election, was not fairly elected. Right. Uh, I mean, and anybody who says Trumpism is, is done and gone and over with come January 20th, doesn't truly understand the power oh, yeah. of, of the cult, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, he's been hammering false narratives, conspiracy theories from the very before, yeah, before he was even elected. And it's it's just been hammered to his to his base. The base do and and say whatever he wants. Uh, we've had, you know, through you know the last six months, you know, with, with just simply wearing a fucking mask, right? Yeah. You yeah. have reporters from, from, from Fox News, CNN, everybody. If Trump said you need to wear a mask, would you wear a mask? And the answer was always yes. Yes. And the mm -hmm. fact that he says not to wear masks, they don't wear masks. And we're sitting here with, with record deaths, with record new cases, and... You know, maybe we we skip the, you know, the Pfizer announcement with the vaccine, which is great news. And let's move, yeah. you know, move down to the actual COVID cases uh, from the past week. Uh, again, over a million new cases in this country uh, just from Monday to Friday. We had one million one hundred and twelve thousand plus cases uh, for the deaths we we you know we reached almost 14,000 in 5 days and we've had the last 3 days of 3,000 plus and if you guys you know recall you know 911 was 2977 and we're hitting that at you know the last 3 days yeah, the the image that you shared the infographic that you shared uh yesterday uh, I believe Bobby yes. was so powerful to see, you know, the deadliest days in American history. And we are creating a new one basically every day. And in the meantime, we have, you know, as discussed in our last pod, <clears throat> small towns across America grappling with uh, this, this pushback on, on the masks. 
just this week in WAPO in the Washington Post, there was a write-up about a small town in South, uh, South Dakota. Yeah, South Dakota that's grappling with their own mask mandate. And I mean, just to, to the like pictures of the city square and whatnot, I'm like, oh my God, that's Seward, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. and, uh, and not to say that this isn't happening in big cities either, but, you know, people still just not wanting to do the right thing, you know, wear, wear your mask, uh, you know, stay at home where and when you can. You limit gatherings with people from outside of your household. It, it, it's just breathtaking when when you see the numbers. So I, I, I'd love to turn this over to our, our frontline personnel here, Megan. You know, what 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 you see this every day when you go into work. What what has this experience been like for you? Um, it's, you know, I've been a nurse for 18 years at the Seward hospital and, um, this is like nothing I've ever experienced in my career. Um, the way that mask wearing has been, um, so politicized, um, especially, I mean, I say, especially in, in Seward, because like, this is my little bubble that I live in mm -hmm. and these are the people that I care for every day. Um, it's, it's sad. It makes me really sad. It's, it's something simple that you can do and people just aren't willing to do it. Um, even with the mask mandate now, people are like, so has anyone been ticketed for not wearing a mask yet? It's right. like, just the mask. It's really not hard and really you shouldn't be going places. Um, if you're that high risk that you can't wear a mask, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be going out and about probably anyway. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you also have, you know, you have, you, you, you're a mom and uh, you know, I was happy to see, you know, the, the football team was able to get their, their uh, season in and that's great. Congrats to your boy. Um, yes. Yeah. We you know, every team. Yeah. 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 So, but what, what was that like? What was the experience like being in the stands? Were, was there masks? No, no masks. Like what, you know, how was that? For the most part, people were very respectful of the different um, places, the different schools that we traveled to and followed their rules. Um, mm -hmm. I personally enjoy wearing a mask because I can make faces and people don't see me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I just try and be a really good example um, and, and show people that it's not that terrible. Um, people would walk into the stadium and go sit in the stands and then take their masks off. Well, I'm, I'm not gonna sit near you if you're gonna take your mask off, you know? And so yeah. I have the choice then to move or whatever. So, mm -hmm. I mean, people were pretty good. There were still this little handful of people that won't, they just won't do it. And so, it's frustrating, but um, it, it went pretty well. I appreciate that we were, you know, I feel like the school is keeping our students safe. Um, the spread Good. in the schools is very low right now. And so uh, it's because of the masking. Um, the cases here are showing up outside of school and in, you know, gatherings that, that people are getting together for. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I appreciate what the school is doing. The football coach was really all about if your helmet's off, your mask is up. And so you'd see kids on the sideline and, you know, they had the trainer would squirt water in each person's mouth as to not get it very close to them, you know? And so great, I feel like that was great. well, pretty well regulated too. So um, they've done a good job here. 
And at the high school level, how has the masking been going? Are the I mean, I, you know, I, you know, getting a teenager to do anything is tricky. I get it. Uh, but you know, are, have they been? Have the kids been pretty on board with the masking and whatnot? Yes, the kids have been, and you know, there are still those that you know wear their mask below their nose, and that's so irritating to me. But even my son, <laughs> you know, my sixteen-year-old son, will be like, "Listen, put your mask up, like." Awesome. We have to do yep. this. And so he's also trying to be a voice of reason to these people. That's great. That's um, great. Yeah. So I think it's going well. I do. Excellent. Excellent. Yep. Well, I and think then on the I other end think... of the. Yep. No, go, ahead. go ahead, Liz. Oh, I was just going to say, so I've got a 17 year old. I think that the high school kids realize that um, wearing a mask is your ticket to be able to still have sports and activities and go. to still be able to go to school. Um, I think a huge issue for all three of my kids when, you know, everything was shut down the spring was, is, you know, these kids need to be able to socialize like they're always used to. So like depression was a huge issue to have to work through my kids. And when it, when it was safe for them, you know, to be able to do their activities again, um, you know, cheer, dance, soccer. I mean, that was a game changer. So Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. even my seven-year-old was like, I'll wear a mask if that means I can see my friends and my teachers again. Um, So when you boil it down to a seven-year-old getting it and some of these adults don't get it, it's like, look how easy this is. Just wear your mask. And you have a, your daughter is a dancer and I know, I know she's in rehearsals right now. How, how is that working with the masking and, and staying safe while they, while they prepare for their uh, holiday performances? Yeah. So actually they're Nutcracker performance guy, um, rescheduled. So it'll be Nutcracker oh. in March. Okay. Um, oh, but you know, okay. You guys know the lead okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. Lead center is super gracious, um, to reschedule with them. But so she's dancing at a regular studio, but, okay. um, the, the safety that studios, um, have put in place in town, um, only dancers are allowed in the studio. They sanitize on the way in. They have, um, you know, marked out boxes on the floor to kind of keep people in their own little bubble and they sanitize on the way out. Nobody can hang out at the studio. When your class is done, you leave. Um, So there hasn't been, like Megan said, there hasn't been, you know, the spread at the dance studio. Um, Like high school cheerleaders, you guys, they wear their masks the entire time while they're cheering. So they do that. Um, You know, the elementary schools here, um, masks all the time. They've even um, upped it now so that even during PE and when you go outside, you still wear your mask. Um, So there is, you know, there's a handful of cases here and there, but it's nothing like what I expected um, when they went back to school. So um, they really decided that school is almost the safest place for these kids right now. Now, Elizabeth, you're, you are a teacher, correct? Correct. <laughs> and you are doing online education right now. Well, um, so it's kind of crazy. So I okay. teach in um, the Blue Valley School District, which is on mm-hmm. the Kansas side of the Kansas City metro area. And I live in Lee Summit, um, which is on the Missouri side. So my children, um, I have an eighth grader, a sixth grader a second grader and a kindergartner and they are all virtual right now. Um, okay. As of, well, the, the younger kids started all in person and then moved to all virtual. My older two have pretty much been virtual the whole time. Um, I started in my school district that, um, middle school and high school are virtual. 
and um, elementary, so K through five is all in person. We started hybrid, so I had a split class and um, now we're back completely in person, so. Oh, okay. So it's it's the big struggle. My, my husband um, does investment real estate. He flip, like does construction, flips houses. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So fortunately timing worked out well right now that he has a house on the market that we're waiting to sell. And so he is able to be home during the day with my kids that are at home doing school while I'm at mm-hmm. school doing school. <laughs> so it. It, it has been interesting. Um, we have found in our schools, um, I, I don't know. I think it's really hard. I have really mixed opinions. Um, it's definitely not spreading among the kids as much. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, in the elementary school, you know, a, a great percentage, I, I believe in my research that a great percentage of the kids that age that are getting it are asymptomatic. Um, mm-hmm. And we have had lots of staff members in my building um, getting it, um, some of whom the only place they go is school. Um, so it's hard for me to say it's not spreading in school and that asymptomatic kids can't spread it, I guess, is what I'm, (laughs) I don't know. Right, right. No, I, 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 I I understand. I, I, you know, you, so you did have to do some on, you you teach fourth grade, correct? Correct. And, um, so my big thing with zoom right now is that I've had, um, I have a very small class this year. Um, my school is very, um, racially diverse. Um, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so we have a lot of students in our school that have like multi-generational households, um, as well as, I mean, I think one of the eye-opening things to me was, um, some of the populations in our school, a majority of them chose to be virtual because that was a choice for them. Um, and part of that was a fear of if the kids got sick and brought it home to the parents, um, they couldn't get their children back to their home country where their family was for care and their people in their home country couldn't get to their kids, um, which is why they chose to be fully um, online. So like in fourth grade at my school, 40% of our students chose to be completely online. So I only have 17 students right now, um, but I have yet to have a full week when I haven't had someone quarantining. So I'm still zooming those kids into my classroom to try and um, make sure they don't get behind. Yeah. So I was going to ask, what what is that like? So you've got some kids in person, you've got some kids zooming in. How do I mean, I, I, you know, full transparency, I used to teach myself and I, I taught uh, in the fifth grade uh, was the lowest grade I ever taught. And that is tough enough, <laughs> you know, fourth yeah. grade is, you know, uh, just a year younger. Like how, how is that working with the kids that are online? Do you feel that they're, they're getting the same? I mean, I'll just be frank. Like are, are, are our kids that are learning online at that age, getting the same level of education as if they were in person? So in our school district, it, which is different than they did in like, um, Lincoln Public Schools, or my sister works in um, the Millard Schools School District, mm-hmm. and um, in Omaha. And mm-hmm. the what we're doing is we have fully virtual teachers for the people that selected to be ah, in the virtual okay. program. So in my building, we have um, two in-person teachers and one teacher that's teaching um, just the remote students. And then some of our students that chose remote were assigned to another teacher um, at another building. 
And so, uh, you know, she, she does the same instruction that we do every day. We all still plan together and she is literally doing live instruction. Probably I would say five hours a day to those kiddos. Um, but that being said, um, I think some of the struggles are like, she doesn't have really any way to get them to turn in work if they're not turning in work or, um, those kinds of things. So I think that's the hard part. That being said, the majority of our students that are virtual right now um, do have an adult in the home during the day, which is not the same everywhere else. Yeah. And now Liz, you have a little one. Was he online at any point? Yeah. So we were online. Um, We came back from spring break and they like said, okay, we need to take another week. Um, so we were right. off school a couple of weeks there. And then they were, all three of my kids were um, full Zoom from like the end of March until school got out in May. Yeah. Um, and like, God bless you both, Megan and Beth. Um, I, I do not know how teachers are doing it right now. I truly believe teachers are not getting paid enough uh, for this. I can't even imagine. Um, Aiden, um, you know, in the beginning of the year, it was very thrown together, right? Because right. we just had no idea what was happening. And so um, I just, you know, kudos to the teachers just trying to throw stuff together. It was very limited, the um, actual Zooming we had at that time. It was a lot of stuff that the kids were just supposed to do on their own um, and just self-directed um, for the most part for elementary kids um, because they didn't have Chromebooks at that time. So that was really hard um, working my full-time job. I work in insurance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to do my full-time stressful job and then trying to keep, you know, a first grader at that time mm-hmm. engaged. Exactly. Um, it, it just, it just was hard. I mean, so mm-hmm. I, what, what the teachers are doing now is um, absolutely amazing. I can't imagine teaching in both those environments. Um, and it's just, it's just been amazing. So, I mean, anything that we can be doing to support, you know, not only our nurses, but, you know, the teachers as well. I, I think they're literally both right there on the front lines working with this stuff. Yeah, Liz absolutely. is my cheerleader. I literally leave her, I don't know how, <laughs> multiple, <laughs> multiple messages a week. She's my pep talker. So she talks me off a ledge um, quite frequently. <laughs> <laughs> hey Beth, real quick, can you explain? Like, you know, I've been sitting here listening and just kind of envisioning the processes and and you know how this all works. But like, what's the testing process with your students in your school? Um, you know, are you are we waiting for symptoms or you know, obviously asymptomatic? Are you guys testing on a regular basis? You know, how's that all working? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that. So, you know, it it came up. Um, about uh, testing. And, and that's one of the things that I would love to say, you know, like as these, these teachers are getting sick, like I wish that there was a way that we could batch test kids to just see like, are there kids that are, that that are sick? So um, the way that our, our system works in my school district is that at the elementary level, at least our kids are masked at all times. Um, except for at lunch. And we have our lunch set up so that there are only two students at each table. Um, so they're really, they're, they really are six feet apart, even when they are eating their, um, 
their lunch and we uh, do our snack outside. We don't eat snack in the building. So they're distanced and outside, even if it's, it was raining the other day. And I'm like, if you guys want snack, you're going to go stand in the rain. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, no, really they have to get tested to come back to school if they have symptoms or they have okay. to have a doctor's note that says that their symptoms are not COVID related. Right. Um, but really as far as the amount of kids that are like being tested, it's not very many, you know, um, I, I, I don't think very many kids get tested unless they know they have a direct exposure. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And as far as the school system goes, because we're all masked all the time, we're not requiring anybody to really be tested due to school things. Gotcha. I see. Yeah. So I am, I'm just curious about, so Beth, you teach the fourth grade, Liz, you have a first grader. Um, Beth, you also said you have a little one, uh, right? A kindergartner and a second second grader. Okay. So I, you know, one of my clients, I was telling Bobby about this the other day. One of my clients has a, she's a single mom. Uh, She, she runs her own shop. Uh, She's, you know, an extraordinary woman but she has a second grader and a a second grader who is on the spectrum. And we are 100% uh, virtual right now in LAUSD. And she was just explaining to me how, you know, online learning is working and that she could understand that maybe if her son didn't have these exceptional learning needs, it would be, it would be better, but you know, the fear is that because they're not necessarily getting the, the services that they would be getting if they were in person, um, that there is going to be a, 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 a lag there, there's going to be, you know, when, when God willing, knock wood, we are past all this and things go back to quote unquote normal, there's going to be this section of kids that are significantly behind. Uh, can either of you speak into that and your, your worries about, you know, learning loss that is going on during this time? Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on it. First of all, um, my, my second grader, um, struggles with reading. I am pretty sure that if I had him tested, he would be identified as um, being on somewhere on the spectrum of mm-hmm. which you don't even think about the, this being a spectrum of, uh, but a dyslexia spectrum, yep, um, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I never really thought of as a spectrum before you think of autism as a spectrum, but not necessarily something like dyslexia. But um, I will say that he received amazing support for um, 30 minutes of of one-on-one or small group three-on-one um, lessons in, in reading all last spring. And um, now that he's virtual, he gets that every day. Um, in my school district and in the school district that my students or that my own children attend, we have the opportunity to, as teachers in my district, um, fill out paperwork if we think a child really needs to be at school Um, even if we are virtual. Mm -hmm. So like when we were in the hybrid where kids were coming two days a week, um, there were some students that were coming all five days. Um, And same with that, my school district. So I know my neighbor is um, a special education teacher in the Lee Summit School District in the high school. And 
even though the high school started remote, she was in person with her students from day one. Got it. Got so it. I, I think I do think it's it is in, incredibly hard. I will tell you, I've also seen cases of kids that really struggled in school that are in the online format um, that are excelling because they are, okay. you know, um, maybe kids that are on the spectrum. You know, he doesn't have the anxiety of his peers looking at him or his peers. Right. Thinking- I, I don't know. He has just really blossomed this year and it's been super amazing to see. Got it. Got it. Megan, I want to ask you about, um, you know, being a nurse during this time and, you know, the, the hospital, you know, do you feel that administration is, you know, doing everything they can do to keep the frontline workers safe? Are patients respectful when they come in? Like, what can you speak into your experience a little bit more, uh, you know, seeing this firsthand day after day? Um, Okay, I have to be really careful what I say say about uh, some of this yeah megan we don't want you to say anything obviously that's going to get you in trouble exactly yes yes sorry Sorry, i should have started with that clause yes please please be judicious in your answer (laughs) um our ceo is actually on the four corners uh board and so he is uh, four corners health department um so he's kind of right in with the heavy stuff um brings a lot of knowledge uh, but we have policy changes a couple times a week, you know, how we care for patients, um, visitor policies, things like that. Uh, we just recently switched from uh, someone at the door screening people in to having a kiosk uh, where it takes your temperature for you, asks a couple questions, you grab your own mask, uh, you get a sticker that says you passed, and then you can come inside. Um, oh, nice. Is that visitors and patients are masked in the room when there is a nurse or another employee in there? They're not always very good at that. Um, sometimes I get families that don't want to put their mask on, and they say, "Well, I live with this person, and I, well, it's our policy. You need to put your mask on while you're in the room visiting." Um, usually, they'll do it without putting up too much of a fuss. Um, but other than that. Um, it's been interesting, you know, at the very beginning, we were planning on transferring all of our patients to other facilities if they had COVID. Um, Brian and Sainese, we have a partnership with them, they will take our patients. Um, and then when there started to be more COVID patients that needed hospitalization, we have been um, keeping some of the patients in sewer that are less critical, you know, that maybe don't need to be on a ventilator. Um, if we have a patient now that starts to spiral downward, we will transfer them to Lincoln. Um, and, and that's been really helpful to do. It's really interesting to watch a patient uh, roll down the hall on a stretcher, basically covered in a plastic tent. Um, that's something I've never experienced before. Um, but we have negative pressure rooms where it sucks the air out basically uh, like 40 some times an hour. Um, to keep us all safe. Uh, Those rooms can be turned on and off. We have, I think, maybe six of them on the floor now, so we can have six COVID patients at a time, and we have. Um, You know, we we don our PPE. We don't wear pappers. We wear N95s with face shields, um, isolation gowns, gloves, shoe covers, hair covers, uh, basically cover ourselves completely up. 
I've been in patient rooms in my isolation gear and I see, you know, something on the news, a bigger hospital they have. And I'm like, I feel like we're in a movie. Like this can't be real. This is literally happening in our, in our small town of Seward, Nebraska. Um, it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, uh, especially then you see all of the debate going on with masking and things like that. Um, it's, it's disheartening at times, but um, I feel like our hospital is providing the PPE that we need. Um, I know that, for example, nursing staff gets a new surgical mask every day, every shift. Um, some departments do wear theirs for like a week at a time if they're not direct patient care. Um, but we get, we get uh, new ones every shift. I had to change yesterday. I was in the room with a patient and a family member and her family member was asking me all kinds of questions and I just kind of lost it. Like I cry pretty easily nowadays because everything's really just a lot to handle. I think, I think we all do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> I cried all the way through my mask. Like my nose was showing. It was, mm -hmm. it was terrible. So I had to switch out but um yeah i feel like i feel like they're protecting us the best that they can and uh, we're doing what we can for our patients we're giving um iv remdesivir we're giving convalescent plasma we have the new medication bam livimab um that was authorized by the fda for emergency use we're giving that mm -hmm. to patients um on an outpatient basis. And that is to keep them hopefully out of the hospital. They have COVID-19, they aren't hospitalized, but you know, have a high risk to become hospitalized. So we are giving that also. So we've got some pretty significant technology and medications that we're giving here, which I'm proud of, you know, it's, right. it's we're so close to the big hospitals that, you know, maybe other places don't have these options, but we are mm. able to get these medications our pharmacist at the hospital is great. Um, you know, so I feel like we're very fortunate here. So Megan, as a frontline worker, let me ask you this. Obviously when the city council passed the mask mandate, right? Mm -hmm. You guys and your team members have been dealing with this nonstop for months. months the city yes. finally, finally reacts in, in the correct way. So personally, I've seen posts on the Seward community chat, like from your hospital, giving people advice, telling them to mask up, you know, and every time they post something positive, new information, you know, you should do X. There's just a, a shit ton of criticism, uh, you know, from the anti-maskers, you know, even people saying I'm anti-mask. I walk into the gas station there in Seward and they tell me to put on a mask. I won't do it. I refuse to do it. You know, how does that make you feel dealing with this day in and day out that people in your community may end up in the hospital with you because of, you know, lack of stupidity? Right. Um, it makes me sad. Um, that's about it. I'm, I'm sad about it. Um, they just released some more um, deaths uh, in, in Seward County. We're up to 15 now, uh, but it takes a while to report those deaths because they won't report it as a COVID death until the death certificate is signed. And so for a long time, people were like, oh, nobody's dying around here. Well, now they just like seven more deaths. They, because from November until like the first month of December, nothing was getting reported. I could scroll through the obituaries and show you which 
people died from COVID um, mm. because we cared for them or we shipped them out or, you know, mm. you just know these things. Um, and so to see these people react on even the hospital social media platforms is, is very sad. But you know what? We're still going to be there for those anti-maskers when they are sick. We will right. give them the best care that yeah. we can. Um, show them that, you know, despite your terrible decision making, uh, we're still here for you. Um, right. Yeah, it's it, it makes me sad. It really does. So I don't know. Well, um, I think oh. in a small town, one of the things that makes it um, even harder is you know all the healthcare workers. And so for me, I think that that is hard for me to understand how I can know Megan Stenson and I can know you personally and still <laughs> not yeah. listen to your advice exactly. when obviously you know better. And I think that like watching the city council meeting and watching um, Dr. Kettner speak oh. and um, I mean, I, I have a huge soft spot for that man because he's taken such good care of my dad um, mm -hmm. for so many years. And for him to say, you know, I'm scared and he is not a reactionary person. I mean, he is not an alarmist at all. Um, and I just like that, that's what makes it hard for me is when, when you have a personal connection to these people, you know, I listen to the KU uh, med center report um, most mornings mm -hmm. um, and those doctors, I, I have respect for them and I'll listen to them, but I don't know them personally. So I think it makes it so much harder for me to fathom how people that you know personally, you can ignore. Right. Well, and like Megan, you said, it's, it's just so sad. I mean, for all of us, Seward is home. Um, so watching that Facebook community, Facebook blow up with those people, you know, just trolling through the comments and whatnot. I mean, they're stupidity really is preventing me from seeing my parents is preventing Beth from seeing her parents. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so that's hard and it's really hard to think that our community is kind of in the thick of this. You would have thought as a small community, we would have all pulled together. So exactly. it is, it is sad. Yeah. Well, well within it, <laughs> unfortunately, right. uh, as we've, as we've all, um, you know, heard. <laughs> uh, so I, I hate to even bring this goon up because he's such a piece of shit. But when you see, <laughs> you know, people like Rudy Giuliani, you know, get COVID and then just a couple days later are like, I'm fine. Everything's good. No problem. And then the asshole has the audacity to say, well, I got the celebrity treatment. Da, 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 da. Right. Like right. what? The, what? What 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 are we what are we shooting into Rudy Giuliani uh, that uh, it, I guess the question is why can we if if this treatment exists why do we have such a high death rate I I, I don't understand uh, I I'm having a guess that it has something to do with money but if if there's something that we can just shoot into people and two days later it, when they're in as horrible shape as Rudolph Giuliani, uh, they walk out of the hospital uh, good as gold. Um, what, why are we not giving that to more people? I don't know if that's maybe, uh, Megan, if you can shed some light on that, if anybody has any thoughts on that. Um, like I said, we are, are starting some of those um, magical drugs around here now. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure what concoction he was given, mm-hmm. um, but it's so uh, scary because of the way the virus affects people differently. You know, right. we've had yeah. people in their 40s be hospitalized who, you know, got it from their teenage daughter who only lost her taste and smell, which is really interesting because you know then that the virus is a, has entered your brain when you have lost your taste and smell. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it, it just hits so many parts of your body. It can cause heart disease, strokes, kidney disease. There are long-term changes that will be done in your body, vasculitis, inflammation of your blood vessels, blood clotting, um, so many different things. Uh, and it's, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a learning. We're always learning and growing right. and changing every day. Um, And so, you know, and then also keep in mind that whenever there's a new medication, it has to go through different processes, like not only from the top, but within our hospital, it has to go through different committees and, you know, uh, be signed through. And we're, we're doing those things fairly quickly. Um, But it's just, it's scary, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Luca, I think it's hard to, to tell because even when Trump, you know, Trump was taking what I, you know, called the COVID cocktail. Right. Nobody's been transparent on exactly like Megan said, we don't know what it is. And even as like professional doctors and and that kind of guess, you know, they don't have like definitive answer of exactly everything that Trump was given, Giuliani was given and other members in his inner circle that have contained, you know, attracted the virus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think with this disease, would they have been okay without that treatment? Like it affects everybody so differently. Right. That who's to say that they could have done nothing and been fine. I mean, I have friends that, you know, seven weeks later, they are still having massive, massive migraines. Um, And then I have other friends and none of these people are hospitalized. And then I have other friends that, you know, they, they were feeling good after two days. Um, So I I think that makes it hard too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, going rolling back to our, you know, other big news of the week. So we're, we're there. Okay. The, the FDA, you know, we've, we've got the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine ready to roll. Um, Megan, as a frontline worker, uh, you'll be hopefully given access to that uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, but I guess for, for each of you in your communities, uh, what is the appetite for this, this vaccine? Or, or do we think we're, you know, we know that, you know, we're, we're going to have to get to at least 70% of people that have taken it to reach that uh, magical herd immunity. Uh, what's the appetite? Do you, you know, do you have a sense of are people ready and eager to take this or is this going to be the next big fight that we face? I feel like it's definitely going to still be a big fight just because there are people that don't even want to take the vaccines that have been around for decades. Um, yeah. You know, I, I feel like I'm willing to take this because I've weighed out the risks and the benefits. I've been listening to some physicians. Some of our own local physicians have done videos for the employees of the hospital, you know, encouraging um, getting the vaccine. Um, We were given a survey by the Four Corners uh, Health Department, you know, gauging and 
uh, our interest in getting the vaccine. And then my director of nursing has been going around for the last week, just getting like, she's like, I need to know by Monday because we need to order the doses and <laughs> they're hoping to get it to us by uh, the end of the month. So hopefully Great. before wow. Christmas, we will get our first uh, vaccine. So Great. Great. it makes me a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm all about preventative medicine. I've been taking vitamin D3 and zinc for a few months now, just because that I know that that can help boost your immune system. Um, but if you imagine a world without any vaccines, you know, it's, it's terrifying. And so I'm willing to um, do this. It's had the phase three trial done, which is all vaccines require this. This just has gone a little bit quicker um, because it's a, it's a public health crisis that we're in. Right. Um, so, well, and it's a new technology also, mm -hmm. right? This is not yes. the, uh, you know, you take some of the vaccine or excuse me, you take some of the, the actual virus and you inject it into the person. This is not that this right. is right. Uh, a completely new technology, right? Bobby. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the mRNA vaccine has been about 10 years in the works. Um, you know, they were, they were trialing it. They've been doing it for a while now. It's just now it's really kind of in the forefront. So um, it gets down to the cellular level and it's really interesting how, you know, it, the, the, um, it's wrapped in like this lipid, lipid capsule. Um, mm -hmm. And so then the lipid capsule has to dissolve once it gets into your body and, you know, kind of, it doesn't ever get to your actual nucle nucleus of the cell, but into the cytoplasm. So yeah. I, I love listening to, to them talk about the vaccine because um, it's so scientific and it, I don't know, I think it's, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. I think, I think one of the interesting things is, you know, people posting on social media, oh, people that wear masks are living in fear. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. then also the same people posting that this vaccine is going to alter your DNA and Oh, and like, for God's sake. And that shit's been around forever, you know? Right. So, yeah. so you are in fact- Causes autism, you know? Here. I mean, I'm I'm pretty pretty sure I'm happy that I made it out of childhood without ever having polio or smallpox. <laughs> Thank you, yes. You know? I, <laughs> hey, that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, in talking about that with like my parents, I'm curious if this would be such an issue if things weren't so politicized and- we had social media. I mean, it sounds like mm -hmm. when our parents got, you know, the polio vaccine, that's just what you did. I mean, right. my yes. parents, my yes. parents remember going to the high school gym with your yes. family and you lined yes. up and you got your shots and there was yes. no, like, why wouldn't we do that? It was that, that's mm -hmm. just what you do as a good member of the community. And that's just, yep. that's just what you do is you get a vaccine. So I, I, it makes me sad that now it is going to be such a, because we know it's going to be an issue. Um, you know, if you can't even wear your mask now, absolutely, you're going to make an issue about getting a vaccine. And I just, it's sad that here we've, we're supposed to be, you know, so much farther along, you know, as a society, but yet, you know, in the, in the 60s, 50s and 60s, people had it together. That's just what you did. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, yeah, you used to get that at school. <laughs> that's how that's how yeah. common it was to get your vaccinations was that you know they they made it available at your school to make sure that everybody was safe and now here we are uh with all of the 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 nonsense the debunked 
scientifically debunked nonsense uh, that the anti-vaxxers still cling on to. And uh, so now I guess the big question will be this. Um, here in California, we now have a, a vaccine mandate that you cannot enroll your children uh, into public school unless they are vaccinated. And I am sure, as California is California, uh, the COVID vaccine will become uh, one of the vaccines that children have to be inoculated with in order to be enrolled in school. So you're all moms. So, and Bobby, you're a dad. I'm the only childless person on this pod right now. So I, <laughs> I, I put it out to the parents of the world, you know, should schools mandate the COVID vaccine? Um, I'll weigh in just a little bit. Um, I yeah. know right now it's uh, for people age 16 and right. older, but I did right. hear that right. Moderna is starting to do some trials. They're just kind of working their way down in age. Yeah, yeah. I think they're down trials. to 12 now, maybe. Yeah. Yes, 12 is yeah. what I heard. Um, yeah. And you know, since there are so many people that need this vaccine. I feel like we're a ways away from getting the general, I mean, spring will be basically when the general- Oh yeah, we're way down the road on this. I, I guess yeah. I should have qualified this by saying like this time next year or when we, our kids are getting ready to start school, excuse me, yeah. your kids are getting ready to start school for 2021, you know, et cetera. If they have good uh, results from this vaccine, I don't know. I'm kind of torn about it. I guess the mandating it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I don't yeah. have a good answer for that one. Yeah. I mean, so well, currently, you... currently in our school systems, I, I don't know how the California law um, reads, but all, all students are required to have a vac, you know, be vaccinated for, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, mm -hmm. Unless you have, a letter saying that you're you don't take vaccinations you know what i mean so right. even the mandate is well that's what that's what changed recently in the california law is that they removed the exemptions hmm. and unless you have a medically qualified exemption from an md uh, you have to be vaccinated. So you can't, uh, so gone are the religious objections and whatnot. And God only knows this will wind up at the Supreme Court. I don't know. But California actually removed those uh, types of exemptions. So unless you legitimately have your child's pediatrician saying that they, they medically cannot take the you know, any vaccines, mm -hmm. the child must be vaccinated. And I believe the first sign, uh, the first post of it is third uh, kindergarten. So, sorry, let me <laughs> organize my thoughts. You're checked uh, before you can enroll in kindergarten, and then you're checked again at third grade, and then you're checked again at seventh grade. And unless you are fully vaccinated at those, at those uh, goalposts, signposts, whatnot, uh, you are not allowed to be enrolled in the school. And so I don't know, you know, that's California. I don't know what other states do, but I am a big believer in medical science. My mother also was a nurse, uh, worked at Seward Memorial, go Seward Memorial. Uh, <laughs> and I actually, you know, I'm a big believer. And if it's safe, you know, 
proven to be safe. Let me qualify that by, by meaning that, you know, we do get to the point where we're, we're testing kids, you know, under 12 and whatnot, that it is something that should be added to the list that, you know, if this is something, a way to keep our kids safe, that we should do this. And also it's not just about keeping the kids safe. As we were mentioning earlier, it's about keeping the staff safe, you know, the, the, the faculty and staff as well. Yeah, I, my, so my oldest is 17. Um, She Mm -hmm. is probably the most high risk out of my, my family here. She's got as really bad asthma. Um, Mm -hmm. And so really she's that kid that anytime she gets sick, it goes straight to her chest. So it's obviously very scary. So, I mean, for me, you know, keeping my kids safe when I know that, you know, that vaccine has been vetted and it's safe for them. I, you know, I definitely would have um, my daughters take it um, for sure. And, you know, once it's figured out, you know, when, you know, younger kids could take it, I would definitely do it as well. Well, and it sounds like you all, I mean, you all have children within striking distance of college as well. And so are we going to see uh, universities saying that in order to enroll in the fall, you need to get this vaccine. I can definitely see them saying in order to live to live on, on in campus housing. Yeah, um, there we go. Yep. Yeah. There we go. No, like I know, like with the uh, um, oh, what am I? The meningitis. Um, I know yep. mm-hmm. that has been like required now for some colleges not to attend yep. classes, but to be able to live in the on campus housing in dorms and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a, it's just such an interesting, you know, yes, of course, we want to make sure that it's safe. We want to make sure that it's been well tested. This has been done at such a rapid rate. I know there, that creates a lot of more question marks out there. And so obviously, you're going to be a little bit more protective of your kids of, than you might even be of yourself. Um, but uh, it, it will be interesting to see if we can get, you know, let's leave the, the, the 18 and under crowd out of it. If we can get 70% of adults in America uh, to take this vaccine. Right. And I don't think there would be, California wouldn't be requiring, you know, changing their laws with education if people would actually take the vaccine. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're reacting to the data today that says, you know, half of them, you know, half the United States don't want to vaccinate 30, 30% don't vaccinate at all. So they're being reactive to the data, but if, mm-hmm. if it truly comes to that, right. So, you know, Megan, when, when the vaccine starts rolling out and you've only got 20% of your team getting vaccinations and, you know, 30% of Seward is only getting vaccinations. This is just going to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, people are going to continuously be, you know, getting infected because you don't have that 70 to 80% of the population taking the vaccine. So I think at the schools, I think we're going to see, and I've talked with, you know, educators here locally as well. I think that's going to be requirements here in the state of Colorado uh, next fall, uh, depending on obviously how we kind of move through these next, you know, three or four months when people are getting the vaccine, what percentage are getting the vaccine. 
But, you know, does it then move on to like employers or employers going to require it, you know, re- require it? I've seen um, articles about that, that with, you know, employers with 1,200, 2,000, 3,000 employees, is that going to be a requirement starting, you know, on X date? So I think really it's going to depend on, you know, the feedback from Pfizer and the other uh, vaccine manufacturers on, you know, dose, doses being sent, doses being used. I know there's a big hub being sent up, uh, set up right now. So even the pharmacies um, can, you know, communicate directly to this hub. Hey, we've gotten 200 doses in the last week. We've only given 20, you know, 20 shots. So it's all going to be kind of tracked, uh, Luke, similar to your, you know, to marijuana, once it leaves, mm-hmm. we know where mm-hmm. it's going. We know who bought it and when it was bought. So I think all that data is going to feed into this, basically this hub. And I think a lot of the states are going to decide rather quickly once it's really out into the general public. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff to change and make it mandatory unless certain states have a, you know, a higher usage or there's a lot more, you know, higher population that's actually taken the vaccine. Yeah. So, you know, vaccine aside, what, what are your thoughts on, and, and I, I, sorry, this might seem like an out of order question, but hell, we're unfiltered here, right? <laughs> um, I was poised with the, uh, posed a question yesterday uh, that I had to uh, actually get the real lawyers involved. And the question was, if you have an employee or say you have a teacher that has COVID, should you be allowed to require proof of a negative COVID test before that person re- returns to work? Mm. Okay, so I'm, I'm the one who works for big insurance companies. So I work for State Farm. I was going to okay. pipe in a little bit too that I think the face of businesses and big companies has changed drastically during mm-hmm. the pandemic, which um, I think will affect you know, big companies, even small companies' abilities to regulate a lot of things, right? So mm-hmm. like I, I'm at home, I've been working from home since March um, and will be for the foreseeable future. So, right. um, you know, requirements on people working at home, you know, yeah, you, I don't think they'll be able to do anything like that. Um, you know, to have people to go into big offices and work in, proximity to people. I mean, I potentially could see that happening because, uh, you know, a big, you know, company having some kind of an outbreak within the office, I mean, could be devastating. Um, so I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, but I think we also have to look how the, um, just commercial business has changed so much and how, um, our customers, you know, in any kind of commercial business, like they're the way they want to do business has changed because of the pandemic too. So, I mean, that could impact regulations as well. So the, the, you're all, you're all parents out there. So I'll say, you know, I'll ask again, you know, what about if a teacher or staff member has COVID and they have to stay out 
should that school be allowed to require them to show a negative COVID test before they can return to work? So I know that right now, if we have any kind of symptoms as a teacher in my district, um, mm -hmm. we have to have a negative test to come back. So okay. um, my, okay. my teammate caught some kind of virus. Um, she was running a low grade fever. So that counted as her one primary symptom. Um, yep. And so before she could return to work, she had to have a negative COVID test, which her primary test was, I mean, her first test was negative. It wasn't COVID. So um, she was able to return. I am not sure if you have a positive COVID test right now, what our, um, what our philosophy is on that, if that makes sense. So once you have a positive COVID test, I don't think that you at this time have to have a negative one to come back after. You know, you, know, you just, you, you, you <laughs> Again, you just made something else pop into my mind. So we now finally, as a country, are coming around to this whole masking idea. We all know that uh, many countries, especially Asian countries, have been masking for years. And that's because COVID is just one of many, many, many different viruses that can be caught, uh, especially during cold and flu season. So even you know, in a utopian world a year from now where 80 plus percent of the country is vaccinated, would you like to see mask use continued? That's, Nobody wants to hop on that grenade. That's, that's an interesting <laughs> question. Um, I was hoping to see general illness levels decrease with people masking and hand sanitizing more than they probably ever have in their entire lives. Yeah. Um, you know, influenza wise, we're not seeing a whole lot of it um, locally quite yet, which I think has to do with, you know, the pushing of people to stay home if you don't feel well, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wash your hands, wear a mask. And that's how influenza spread is through, you know, drop respiratory droplets. Right. Um, so I'm interested to see how the whole flu season plays out on top of yeah. everything. Um, I know that probably from here on out, if I don't feel good, I will, uh, you know, once even the vaccine is rolled out and everyone's vaccinated, yeah. um, I probably will still be a little more cautious um, if I'm not feeling well. And just because you, you don't know, yeah. you know, and if I'm going to protect other people, then I'm going to do my best to protect the other people. So not to- but we yeah. laugh about it. We laugh about it all the time as teachers because writing subplans is horrendous. And, <laughs> and writing, I feel that. I feel uh, that. <laughs> writing subplans um, for virtual is nearly impossible. So, yeah. um, I mean, I think teachers historically have come to work sick so many times. Absolutely. I was just about to say that, Beth. Yes. Yeah. Then to have to drive into work when you feel terrible and get all your stuff ready. And then, I mean, you might as well just stay, right? Right. So yeah. um, I do think that has changed in the school because if you come up to positive as a teacher, um, I mean, you have so much guilt, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because even though you, I mean, we are, we are never around our students unmasked ever. Um, mm -hmm. We, our teacher's lounge has been closed since before school started. So we don't have a place to gather. Um, we eat 
by ourselves in our own classrooms, um, which is, I mean, is crazy because when you're with kids all day, all you want is adult interaction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so still, I mean, you feel so guilty if you test positive and then you still feel so guilty about could I possibly have you know, infected these 21 students. And if I infected right. these 21 students and they all took it home and then, I mean, I don't know. So yeah. I do think Where did it get change. I think uh, teachers are staying home and I could definitely see teachers be wearing masks all during cold and flu season for a while. I, I think so. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 you know, yes. Creating sub plans is, is the devil. And so there's that. I also, prior to being a teacher worked in corporate America. And so for a very long time, you know, it was like a badge of honor. Like I'm sick as hell and I'm running 102 degree fever, but I'm still at work. Like, I think that has to stop. That has to change. That has to go away. We have to applaud people for having the wherewithal to say, I don't want whatever I have. I know I have something and whatever I have, I don't want to give it to other people, you know, versus the, you know, the, I mean, I, you know, when I, especially when I was right out of college, I just didn't want to have to be the guy on the phone calling my boss saying, Hey, I'm not going to come in. And they're like, really? You know, <laughs> like, I think we just, that, that, that's another cultural shift that it will be interesting to see if that sticks, you know, there, there's been so much that has shifted. You know, I think we've all now experienced that so many meetings that we once had to sit through could very easily be a, email um yeah. <laughs> or, know. or or traveling to meet clients down in in dallas texas when now you yeah. can do it on a conference call and get the same results you're yep. saving all that you know instead of going there yeah. for three days i mean you do it on a zoom you knock it out and you know yeah. uh, we're even doing zooms with you know governments in other countries you know mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. originally mm-hmm. planned that we were going to fly there and and meet there and look at their entire network and infrastructure but now it's you know on a phone and you know showing us what they've got what they don't want what they want to get rid of what they want to change and we can do you know everything from the comfort of our home so it's you know it's been different and you know from from a tech perspective we've seen you know products that we expected that were going to be gangbusters have not been and then other stuff you know like liz said everything's changed and we've kind of anticipate the change and so this year so far stuff that we thought was gonna you know be gangbusters because of covid really hasn't been and other items you know solutions that we do everybody's kind of you know picked up on and you know, gone from there. So, you know, it's been weird, you know, in the tech perspective and, uh, but, you know, Luke, I wanted to get into, you know, last week, last weekend, we were on uh, Facebook and I saw uh, Beth post about uh, Beth and Liz post about um, adopting nurses. Yes. And then I quickly got into reading the discussion and, and, and getting a better idea. We jumped on, we, you know, uh, paid for 10 and then paid for another 10 paid for another, you know, how many we at now? I don't even remember. 
I, I know that um, you guys have paid for at least, I think, um, 25 total okay. uh, in our yeah. group. So, um, so Liz and I, um, this is kind of funny. So we grew up together, but we were never really uh, close friends growing up. Not that we didn't like each other. We just never hung out together. But um, that has kind of changed in our adult life. And I talked to Liz probably more than I talked to any single other person from high school. Um, so yeah, some people that we, we have a little side hustle business, the two of us do. And some people that we um, have this business with were adopting um, residents of nursing homes. And that's kind of where this started. And then we kind of turned it to the whole nurses thing too, and healthcare workers in general. And it's been overwhelming to say the Fantastic. least. Fantastic. Fantastic. Liz, how many have yeah. you so far between your facilities? Tell the story about your first facility. Cause that was pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, in the world of side hustles, right. You always have an upline. Um, and in our upline, they threw out this idea and I kind of poo-pooed it at first. Cause I was like, nobody is ever going to donate money to this. Like I'll, we'll never get this off the ground. Um, so I threw it out on a whim, um, looking for adopting residents, um, at nursing facilities. Um, so, uh, connection through competitive cheerleading, a girl who did competitive cheerleading with my oldest daughter when she was little, um, has a center, a residence, uh, like a center, like a nursing home in Colorado. And she, she was like, oh my gosh, I'd love to do this. Um, the folks I have here, 50% of them, um, have some kind of mental illness. Most of them at one point were homeless, so they don't have family. Um, they don't have visitors coming to see them. And so I was like, oh my gosh, let's get this started. So um, she had 70 residents um, with a matter of about three or four days, we got all of them adopted. And uh, it even just, it just blossomed from there. I can't even tell you guys how generous people have been. I mean, you guys also extremely generous, um, people saying, yes, I'll take, I'll adopt three, I'll adopt five, um, you know, without even blinking an eye. Um, she threw it out on social media onto her Instagram page. Um, there was somebody who, um, was an acquaintance of hers, but not close. And he felt compelled to share it on his own Instagram and other social media outlets. And he ended up contacting her kind of when we were in like the 11th hour thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to get these last, you know, 15 adopted? And he said, hey, I threw this out to my friends too. And I've got $800 that I'm going to Venmo you. Um, it Boom. was yeah. So we were able to adopt that entire center. Plus, um, she had extra money for her center because of that. Um, and then I did another, another center here in Syracuse, Nebraska, and then just recently, um, switched over and got the COVID nursing unit at St. Elizabeth's here in Lincoln adopted. So Beth, I've gotten between residents and, uh, nurses, I've gotten 150 folks. How many did you have so far? So we had, um, my first was a, a care facility in Independence, Missouri. It is a state-run facility, so um, not a whole lot of extras there. And so we adopted all 43 residents there. And then um, 59 COVID um, unit nurses um, here at a Kansas City hospital. And then um, 
Stacy Meinberg um, Blecka, who is works at the hospital in Seward, um, had contacted me and she's on our team as well. And she's like, I think I'm going to throw this out here for Seward. So we've been um, kind of pushing that as well. And as of this morning, she has 153 uh, um, taken care of. So she was able to Amazing. pretty much take care of the entire wow. um hospital staff like we're talking like um respiratory I mean she didn't just cover the the nurses she covered um all the nursing on the floor radiology respiratory lab lab physical therapy pharmacy um surgery specialty clinic and then um she got a huge I don't know if I mean we I know we're all sewered people but um Dan McCrite I don't know if you guys remember him um younger than us his older sister he had Steph McCrite would have been closer to oh sure sure yeah yeah and then two older sisters that were closer in age to us I guess too so he and his wife um his wife uh is I don't personally know her but her mother I guess worked at the hospital in Seward and they contacted Stacy late last night and said we'll take the rest of them and brought her a big big old check this morning so she was also able wow. to cover all the nurses in the clinics in Utica, Milford, and Seward. So fantastic! a total of 153. Um, that is that's for, amazing. For her. And um, I, it just feels so good. And, you know, Megan, I, I'm talking directly to you right now. Like we, those of us that have moved away from Seward, but still have family there, it's hard for me not to get emotional about it. Um, yeah. It is literally so incredibly comforting to know that if my parents have an emergency, they don't have to make it to Lincoln. Um, that we yeah. have such a great facility in in Seward. And honestly, my, my parents' life, my dad had had some heart issues right before COVID started. And so had been doing um, rehab at the Seward Hospital um, PT and then heart rehab. And they let my mom come as his support person and that was their thing that got them through this unfortunately right now because cases are so high they can't go anymore but like that going into the hospital and being able to exercise and they're just the seward memorial hospital is such a gift to those of us who have families still living there so thank you megan um for everything you do yes that's that's why i do what i do i that is exactly why i do this that's why i stay where i'm at and why I go to work every day, you know, got to keep, keep, help keep the people of our community safe and healthy. And, um, I do it for you guys too. So. And we appreciate it more than you'll ever know. Just knowing (laughs) like the people that I grew up with and Stacy, so as I, Stacy works at the Seward hospital too, but just, just knowing that these people that graduated from Seward, um, so they're familiar faces to you know, my parents yeah. were both educators and both worked in the school system. So knowing that when they go in there, they have some connection to the people that work there just makes them feel so much more comfortable. So thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. Megan took care of all of my grandparents uh, when they were sick. Um, my aunt um, and to have, you know, Megan, I've told you this before. You're my angel there in Seward and to be able to reach out and touch base um, and just know that you know, even though Seward's a small town that, like Beth said, it's amazing facility. There's amazing staff there knowing that you are taking care of, you know, that you were taking care of my grandparents just like they were your own um, is such huge peace of mind. So 
thank, thank you is not even enough. So appreciate everything you do. For the recognition, I love what I do. And like I said, this is why I keep doing it. So we got to fight the good fight, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, then, and it's so, so very important to uh, continue to, you know, for the country to continue to support rural medicine. Um, that's why, as I mentioned earlier, you know, my mom worked at Seward Memorial as a nurse when we lived in Seward and she could have, uh, just as easily worked at one of the big hospitals in Lincoln or whatnot, but, you know, we've always, you know, she being from a small town in Iowa herself always believed in the importance of rural medicine and, you know, Seward Memorial, let's not forget, doesn't just provide for the residents of Seward, but for the surrounding communities as well. And, you know, without it, exactly, it would be a longer trek into, into Lincoln. Um, so I am, I am forever grateful of uh, Seward Memorial and all the people that work there as well. And Megan, your guys, I mean, I'm a huge Biden and Harris fan, and I, I'm happy that they are Time Magazine's People of the Year, but it, it, it should have, they can, they can be at the next four years when they turn the country around. I, I would have loved to see the cover full of healthcare people, so. Yeah, yes. yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. As much as I was happy to, to see Joe and, 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 uh, Kamala there, I, uh, I really was hoping for the, the healthcare workers because my God, uh, what you all have done, what you all have, you know, stood up to do uh, in the face of unspeakable difficulty and just this political freaking farcus, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just, it, it's breathtaking. And I, I, I can't express my appreciation enough for what the frontline workers have, have done uh, in, in the face of um, just this, this horrible plague. Yeah, Megan, I tried to get Amber on here today, but she, uh, you know, she refused. I lost that battle. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. I don't want to listen to myself. And I was like, oh, you got uh, you got plenty to say. You do it every day. Just right. say it. You, you got our, our thanks to Amber, too. She's and right she's here. At a, she's at a children's hospital, right, Bobby? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Children's there in Colorado Springs. Those thanks. Thanks to her as well. And you need to let her know my trick, Bobby. Uh, when I listen to our podcast back, uh -huh. I, I listen to myself at double speed and then bring it to normal speed for everybody else. So yeah, I hate hearing you know. my voice and then I'll, I'll, I'll like forward it, forward it, listen to Lou. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Like, and this like will probably this... be the only episode of your podcast I don't listen to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's fair. That's fair. And you know what, Jessica, I think that's just a thing with people. Cause I, I had a similar conversation with Jessica post uh, recording on Tuesday. <laughs> that she'll probably never listen to that episode. Because, <laughs> yeah. We just don't like to hear ourselves. So <laughs> me, you know, meanwhile, listen to that episode back, Luke, that what they've done at Lincoln premium poultry really shows the power of the mask, yeah. right? Without the masks, they would have been like every other meatpacking plant in Nebraska, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota. You know, the spread would have been massive. They would have had to shut down. 
They would have been not been able to supply all the Costco's across the country with chicken. And, yep. you know, it was, you know, just very powerful to listen to her exactly what they did from the very beginning you know, Costco helped them out yeah. a lot with PPE initially and until they got their own inventory ordered or however they, you know, received it. But, you know, these people that, you know, still refuse to wear the mask. It's like if you were to wear the mask, say 95 percent of the population. Right. Yeah. We would have a fraction of the businesses that would have to close. Yeah. Yes. Operations would have to change in the hospitality and the, re, you know, in the restaurant industries. Right. But yep. they would still be open. They would still be functioning, cash flow positive. Yeah, they may not have as many customers as they had pre-pandemic. But when it comes to small business and business in general, you want to remain cash flow positive. And that would have been, you know, a larger percentage of the small businesses. I mean, we have, you know, we've had, what, 20,000 restaurants closed already. And, and had people been wearing their masks and, and doing what we've been telling them from the very beginning, and obviously we've learned a lot about this virus, but even this summer, you know, if the president would have simply been saying, wear your mask, we would not see the closures, we would not see the unemployment, we would not, you know, see all this, this carnage from simply not wearing masks. Exactly. Um so Bobby, I I kind of had a front. That's kind of I guess where my front line is. So I um, am a team manager at State Farm. We handle commercial insurance for the entire United States. So we and by the directly, way, State Farm, Liz Troyer needs a raise. No doubt, right? <laughs> so uh, we're talking with those people who are losing their businesses, who yes. are struggling because their business is not open. Um, and, you know, having for my, my team, having those conversations with these people who their livelihood has been impacted. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Um, and like you said, it could have been prevented um, if we would have done something more drastic and, you know, had a nationwide mandate and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely changed the face of what my team and what I do every day, um, you know, because unfortunately insurance doesn't have coverage for that kind of a thing. We don't have coverage for a pandemic right? Um, yeah. and for a virus. And so it's very disheartening. Um, and it's very sad to see something that could have been preventable, you know, happening. Right. You know, Absolutely. Liz, even if these businesses just remained, were able to remain cash flow positive and some of these businesses we're talking $200 a week, for, yeah. you know, for, you know, for some of these people, but, you know, a simple $200, pre, you know, prevented them happen, you know, closing down, not making any revenue, then all of a sudden you're not paying your rents, you're not paying your internet, you're not paying, you know, all yeah. your, all your bills and you get un, underwater really fucking fast. Yeah. 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 It's a, ter it's a terrible domino effect. Um, and, you know, some businesses were lucky to write it out after the initial shutdown, right, in the spring. Mm -hmm. right. um, but, I mean, I, I totally believe, you know, and I think we would all believe here that we're not even, you know, we're not even through the thick of this yet. And so I really worry about right. those businesses that are going to be affected here um, after Christmas when I know we're going to have another rush of cases and whatnot. So it just, yeah. it, 
it scares me to know that we're going to start out the year right where we were at a year before almost. And I, small businesses are, are going to be very lucky to write it out. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe Biden has committed to making a, a uh, heartfelt plea, like everything he does is heartfelt uh, to all Americans to just wear a mask for the first hundred days of his presidency. And if we can all do that, uh, maybe, you know, we can actually have some kind of a summer. So we'll. Because yeah. well, our 25 is coming up, Luke. Liz. I'm sorry. What? Oh, yeah. 20, yeah. Oh, yeah. Damn right. Our 25 is coming up, Megan. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I have not been back for, for this reason and that. I have not been back to Seward since our 20th. And I am desperate to get back there <laughs> to, to see everybody and uh, to enjoy what is the best 4th of July celebration in the country, Emmett. Right. 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 You know, it. you know, it's really bad when they had to cancel 4th of July. Right. Like that. Oh, I'm like, was that I mean, not enough to do it for the town of Seward that we had to cancel can, 4th of July? And can I just give mad respect to, you know, Josh Eichmeyer, our classmate and current mayor of Seward, Clark Coulterman, Jessica Coulterman, and everybody on the 4th of July planning committee that had to endure the wrath of the people yeah. Uh, yeah. that, came down on them when they came. It was a fucking shitstorm, man. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, the, the, like that you thought the mask mandate was bad, right? Like you would have thought that they were canceling Christmas for the rest of all time, you know? (laughs) And I, I get it. I get it. Fourth of July is sacred to the city of Seward, but it was the right thing to do. And I don't know if y'all got a chance to check out any of the virtual stuff they did. I did. I thought it was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, we'll all live to, to see hopefully this 4th of July uh, and we'll all be together again. So my 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 25th was supposed to be last summer, so it got canceled. Right. Um, gotcha. But my favorite part of the virtual and I'm calling Liz out on this. I'm pretty sure Megan was probably in this same video. Totally. Um, <laughs> but when we were little kids, um, one of the big things that we did for church was it was always our job as elementary kids from the Methodist Church in Seward to sing God Bless America on nice. the steps to, to um, kick it off. So nice. it's a little funny uh, throw Liz under the bus here thing. Um, so they replayed a video from I don't even know what year of when Good Morning America came to film and they actually made us film singing it the day before the 4th of July. Megan, were you in on this? Yes, I was. Okay, so I'll laugh. I wanna know if you remember this, Megan. But so we were standing in front of the Civic Center and they, it was so hot and they kept refilming us and refilming us and Liz passed out in the middle of it. Passed out. Like cold, as in like I was on the third step on the front of the civic center, if you guys can picture it. Yeah, uh-huh, completely went uh-huh. down, went down. <laughs> oh, so no. we got to relive that this year when that video was replayed on the virtual 4th of July. They did not catch Liz's, uh, <laughs> but. But I do have a good, I do have a good 60 seconds of fame there because I think they felt so bad for me passing out that I've got a really clear shot of me for about a good, a good minute, I think. Yeah. <laughs> That is fantastic. I was behind <laughs> you. I remember when it happened, you kind of you just 
forward, but you held on to the rail for quite a while before you finally. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I kept thinking, gosh, it's so hot. I'm just going to close my eyes for just a minute here. And uh, exactly. yeah, famous last words. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. Bobby, I think we'll save uh, the USDA and uh, the villainous Mark uh, from Facebook for, for Tuesday. Yep. Uh, and I, I would love to end this uh, wonderful conversation with all of you with what I think is a fantastic high note. Um, Vulture Magazine, which is the uh, arts and culture wing of New York Magazine, has released their hopefully one-time only best of the year that was in quarantine. And uh, one of the, let's see here, best classic camp text, uh, Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. Uh, this was literally done on day six of lockdown. So this is like March 18th. And already the, uh, the, the celebs and whatnot were, uh, um, <laughs> were, were suffering. And so uh, they, they did this. Uh, I've, I've linked it to my Facebook. I've, I, I will, or excuse me, I've posted it on my Facebook. I will uh, make sure the link is to the Bobby and Luke Facebook as well. But it's a bunch of random celebrities after just six days of Facebook, or excuse me, after just six days of uh, lockdown, looking like they're some kind of hostages. <laughs> but it made for a really uh viral moment uh well viral not like the pandemic viral as in uh online so i thought i would just play a bit of this uh to send us out today thank you uh for indulging me Is anybody hearing anything? No. Is it? No. I'm seeing the video with the screen share, but I'm not. Is I'm it not, not? Is the audio not coming through? Yeah, I'm not. Ah, did I screw it up again, Bobby? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, but we. Ah. Just can't hear. Well, you. but oh, the 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 audio didn't come through. No. Well. Damn. Anyway, check it out on the Facebook page. <laughs> my my apologies. No worries. But it's just a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of I, I I've shared my screen and I hit play and I I don't know what else. Anyway.
well, this is an awkward ending. <laughs> no, it's all good, but we want to thank Liz. We want to thank Beth. We want to thank Megan. Badass women doing badass shit. And um, I, do have one thing to say. Group. I do have one thing to say about the Facebook lawsuits. And that is the government's got to be careful on how they proceed to break up Facebook. And it all stems from the petabytes and petabytes of global data that Facebook currently has and will continue to generate. And we'll get into more of that on the next episode. Absolutely. My apologies for the botched high note, but check out Vulture's picks of the quarantine year. And many, many, many thanks to all of our badass ladies. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. With Bobby and Luke. Politics, tech, entertainment, global headlines. Real and raw. Real and raw. Finally, a podcast with real talk and no bullshit. We hope you enjoyed the show, but if we pissed you off, that's okay too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Bobby and Luke. On Instagram at Unfiltered with Bobby and Luke. And on LinkedIn at unfiltered-with-bobby-and-luke. How many dashes do we need there, fellas? My God. Anyway, make sure to like, rate, and review. And of course, leave a comment. And check out the website at bobbyandluke.com. This is Unfiltered, signing off.